Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. All right, we're back. Another edition of Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry in the middle of July talking about the great movies of uh, all time and the new movies that are in theaters and streaming. Lots to do today. We're going to go back 45 years to one of the heydays of uh, movie history, 1977, an iconic year of movies. Chuck and I will rank our 10 favorites from that year. So stick around for that later in the show. We've got some movie news to get to fast five and a whole heck of a lot of fun. Uh, Let's bring him in right now. It's our good buddy, uh, Chuck Curry. Chuck, you doing well, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Mike. It's a beautiful day here in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. Sky is blue. The sun is out. That's an oxymoron. Beautiful day in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. I I, I like it. Um, Let me ask you this. Get out right out of the gate. What's the box office going to be looking like this weekend with really Nothing major coming out in theaters uh, to go up against Thor, Love and Thunder. No, I mean, th- th- I guess the big uh, question uh, this weekend or story is how much of a hole will Thor, Love and Thunder have of a hundred and I mean, I, I, was, I was hope from Marvel's point of view that this film holds up at least 50 percent week to week or, you know, right around that number. They don't want a 70 percent plus drop-off, that would equate to word-of-mouth being not what they would uh, want. I do think the film itself will polarize to an extent because it does have some, like I said last week, I did enjoy it, and I thought he was pretty awesome uh, in a very entertaining way, but uh, it really infuses itself with some really quirky humor, and and that's been a lot of the buzz on social media about the film. People either buy into that uh, director's you know, quirky vision or, or they don't. So um, we'll see what happens there. You know, w- there was one thing I just wanted to b- bring up to you next Friday, the, uh, the, uh, the big action, $200 million action movie called uh, the gray man hits yep. Netflix right now. It's 200. I think about this, Mike, $200 million production. So as Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans last night, Quietly, and I mean quietly because no fanfare, no marketing campaign at all. They primarily released this movie in 450 screens throughout the country. One was the Cinemark in Strasburg. So my buddy oh, cool. Scott, who you know, went to see it. And he called me up and he said, I got to tell you, this was an excellent movie. He said, had some of the best action sequences I've seen in a very, very long time. And I say to myself, and I know some of the reviews are mixed or split but what else is new right um 200 million dollar movie you put it in theaters for a week in 450 of them and you actually don't spend a dime to market it theatrically i i don't know i scratch my head it just doesn't i don't know i hate to bang the same drum but it just sort of makes no sense to me no well the weird part of it too is it's directed by the russo brothers who did the marvel movies captain america it's got chris evans as a villain in it. it's got anna de armaz as his co-star as well it's got all the elements i mean and it's a dead weekend at theater i mean you look at the weekend the movies that came out this weekend there's nothing there there's a kid's movie uh uh, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris in a thriller called Where the Crawdads Sing. Nobody's going to go see. I mean, why not just make this a 3000 theater release? I'm with you here. It's a it's a gaping hole in the weekend. And 
And you could still no, release it on Netflix that. the next week, I guess, if you wanted to. I don't know. Doesn't I want seem- you to. I want you to think about this. Think about this. Here is a strategy. Now, the, the decision makers at Netflix sit in an office and say, "Okay, let's just dump this in theaters with no marketing campaign, where ninety percent of the public has no idea we've done this." Right. And then a week later, let's put it on our streaming flat- platform, Netflix. And promote it as a big action movie, two hundred million dollar action movie. Well, not only that, but they're going to promote it as a premiere to like if this is our I know, movie. I know, I get Nobody's it. seen get it, it yet. But but don't you think the better the better strategy of the ball rolling downhill theoretically would be let's give this a marketing campaign to put it in theaters for three weeks and then put it and then put it on Netflix. I can't see how that would damage. The subscribership, if they use that strategy, it just seems more of a win-win. Win for the win for theater owners, and okay, get what you want also. So you have your cake, you eat it too. Yeah, but, but what, what what's doing ne- now what, makes no sense. Why would Netflix care about theater owners? I mean, that that's the well, hypocrisy. But I, I do. I'm going to explain. They maybe they don't, but it would create more of a policy for that entity doing it the way I describe versus what they've done. What they've done is basically they, they've, they've almost said we got a $200 million turd. Now I don't think that's the case, but, but their business feels but, that way. What, but, but their business model isn't pre buzz. It's post buzz. So that's the way Netflix mm, works. It's not about leading up. To, it's not about leading up to it. It's about getting word of mouth once it's out and released and getting the streams. Now putting, here, here's, that's just the way their, their design is. Let me just feed into that conversation. Now, here's the thing. Um, I think I think I think episodic mini TV shows like Stranger Things, Cobra Kai, those create really massive good buzz. I don't think I don't think movies do it. I don't think movies do it. Do you? I don't know. I I don't. It's not the same. But again, if Netflix is going to put this amount of money into this movie, and release it. It's in their best interest to get as many viewers on their streaming than there is putting seats I, I, in the I, theater. I so. Here, let me just bounce into this now. Um, this weekend, if you go to your uh, your uh, PVOD to see what movie you can rent or buy, you will find after five weeks of theatrical release, Jurassic World Dominion, a movie that's done very well theatrically, despite some of the you know. Split reaction to it does have entertainment value. Uh, so last week in Jurassic World, Dominion did, still did very well in weekend number five. Universal kept a decision to make to put this on um, the ability to rent it for nineteen ninety nine or buy it for twenty nine ninety nine. I guess that's a new feature to actually buy your stream. And then uh, the Black Phone with Ethan Hawke, a, a very successful horror movie that's done like forty eight million dollars at the box office or for you know a, a low budget after two weeks of re- uh yeah three. No, three weeks of release yeah again they're putting on on video day um and good strategy have- or still still vicious to theaters i don't know how vicious it is to theaters i mean yeah i mean i back in the day if we could see back to the future five weeks after it came out in theaters we would have been doing cartwheels on, no, on your no, tv know, at home I know, I just, but you know, how many people are really going to go back and see Dominion on the big screen at this point in time? I mean, I, I still think there's, there's still there's still listen, there's still at least 30 million dollars of box office to be had. It's maybe. a lot of money. Now, 
I don't now, Universal's going to they're going to recoup the money on Apple and all that stuff too. It's not no, like they I don't see it. that and money. And I, and I don't, I don't think, I don't think the theaters really will get hurt much because I think if you're going to see, it, you're still going to see it primarily in the theater. But it will bite a little. Uh, it will shave a little bit of the cake off or take one slice of the pie. Um, but I'm just stating, I'm just stating the facts of, of where we are in the industry My, of, of how these movies are playing and being played and. And, and what what the studios want, and uh, how we have the ability to watch it very quickly. There's no lag time, you know. You when 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 I think I there's first, enough lag time though. I think five weeks is enough to go see Dominion. Well, let, let, let me give you an example. When I first met you in the '90s, right? I remember when you, you were working and running a video store. The first sell-through movie that I remember was Batman in '89, right? So. All VHS uh, cost uh, video stores like 80, 80, 90 bucks, right? Something yeah. like that, 80, 90 bucks, right? So Batman was released a, uh, as a sell-through to the general public for nineteen ninety nine. I think that was the price. And then they did it with Lethal Weapon 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So they had the vision to say, hey, people will pay to own, to watch this at home. I right. remember in 97, I remember 97, Mike when uh, Titanic came out on, on, on VHS, not DVD, still VHS, me and my wife went to the Blockbuster at midnight at midnight to buy that and went home and watched it on, on VHS. And we love that movie that much. It was actually exciting to do that. Uh, and it's, it's well, amazing you, how but a if couple decades later, it, it, it's so different. If you're trying to draw a comparison there, that is not what killed video stores, though, making those movies no. available for sale at that price. And this won't. Kill no, no. Theaters. But I'm just saying I'm just I'm just saying I'm just bringing back what 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 was I, I think. What do you I, tell me what, what kill video stores uh, video? Well, basically watch at home, rent to home, yes. uh, all yes. that stuff. Rent, rent at home and then streaming. Yep. Yeah, I'm streaming no eventually. Um, and then you think about it. I, to me, I would think Universal would get more money for 20 bucks a pop at home than in theaters right now. I really do. I don't, I, I, I think that's actually, I, for me, if I'm universal now, you're right. The theaters, it doesn't help, but if I'm I mean, universal, I would, I'd love to see those. I would love to see the breakdown of those numbers. I would. Yeah. I mean, still I, 20 bucks to rent a movie. I don't do that. Now I'll, I'll wait. If there's some people, I guess me that too. didn't go to the theater to see it and now have a chance to see it with the whole family for 20 bucks. Maybe that's it. But 20 yeah. still we talked about this a while ago. 20 bucks is not the price point to watch a movie at home. Uh, first viewing. I'm sorry. I won't do it. I'll go to the theater. Uh, and I want that experience. If I'm so going to pay that money. Point? What's the price point? What's, I, think I say anything under 10 bucks. Point. I think anything under 10 bucks. It depends on the movie. But anything, anything. Listen, when 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 I bought when I actually buy a movie on Prime, because I, 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 I've been buying some movies to watch on my big TV and my action parlor for the for the people that come in, right? So I just bought Volcano from 97. It cost me $9.99 or $7.99. I, I bought Joys at $9.99. I bought Close Encounters $7.99. I actually, I actually took a splurge because I wanted to watch it again because it's, it's the summer and baseball season. Bad News Bad 76 actually cost me $13.99 to buy. But I did it because I wanted to watch it. So... But 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 it took me a few days to actually pull the trigger. To pull the trigger, there is a psychological price, but you are correct. And I would say that the, all those things that you did there, it didn't kill movie theaters. What it killed was DVD sales are done. That is over. I can't remember the last time I plopped a DVD 
into my machine to watch those, those, those days are done. And I, I, I am shocked sometimes when I go to like Walmarts or, or, or stores like that, and you still see DVD shelves. And it's like the old VHS bins that you used to see picking dollar movies. out. I I don't see people buying DVDs. When's the last time you bought a Blu-ray with special features? How long has it been? It was Jurassic world. The first, the first Jurassic world. So it's what was, been a while. It's been a while for me too. You know that was it. Um, uh, it's just that those days are over, uh, and I don't see them coming back. That's not coming back. Um, no, because even on these streaming now, they put the added features on these streamings now. When you buy it, you get all that stuff too. So there's no reason to buy a Criterion Collection on a DVD and all that kind of stuff. I mean, back in the day, that's what it was all about. But um, interesting you could discussion. We could flow right into. I'm sure you want yeah, to vent no, about. Samaritan, because that's going to go straight to Amazon. Yeah, like you, t- you want to talk about that? I mean, we could. To me, I'm looking at this movie like, why is this any different than the crap he's put out with Matthew Modine and other bad movies he's made? Why should this be an exception and get released into theaters? I, I just you know, don't I think. This is, I, let me just explain. Samaritan is a movie Sylvester Stallone probably filmed about two years ago. They, they've delayed it and they've delayed it because of uh, COVID, right? Right. Uh, they so like a lot of a lot of entities just don't want didn't want to release their movies during the heart of COVID. So uh, it was supposed to come out this year theatrically. Stallone plays uh, basically a superhero who has not been seen in 25 years. When his city becomes more chaotic, he comes out uh, back into uh, action. Now I've seen stills. It looks you know it looks bad. But it looks okay. bad. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't look like something you're going to get. hop in your car, you know, go to the gas station and say, honey, I can't wait to buy the popcorn. Right. But having said that, this is one of those films where studios are going to err on the side of caution and they're not going to spend millions of dollars on a marketing campaign for this movie. They're not going to. And I get that. I do. I understand that. Um, but I, I just think, like we've been saying, there has to be some sort of solution where theaters or multiplexes in general can have a product, a consistent product in their pipeline to play on screen 9, 10, 11, and 12, right? And movies like Samaritan used to do it. Like that would be okay, we'll do, you know, but they just, the problem is the studios, they don't want to spend one nickel on marketing. So they just say, just put it on a streaming service. We'll We'll sell it or, 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 you know, make it up as subscribers, however they want to do it. It is, it is what they call content. At that point, it becomes content. It'd be interesting to see the next Stallone movie that would make any sense. That's not a, a, a Rocky or a Rambo. I mean, I don't see him. Well, uh, he has the, he has, he has the Paramount plus TV series from the creator of Yellowstone uh, com- coming out where he plays a mob boss from a city going to right, Oklahoma. Right. Uh, Tulsa King, I think he's called. Um, so he he's gonna he's gonna get fanfare off that show. I mean, he's gonna do a he's definitely gonna do a, a marketing uh, publicity tour to to uh, to promote it because it'll probably be a really good show. Well, the weird thing is, you know, um, along with seeing the stills in that, and then watching Harrison Ford turn eighty years old this week, it it's just mind boggling me how fast time flies. And can, can I just say one thing? Like, okay, when um, when I saw that birthday on the internet, and you see celebrity birthdays all the time, but when I saw Harris with 80, 80, oh, yeah, I gotta be honest with you, it was it was very reflective and almost surreal. It's surreal. That, that it, it was surreal that that's a reality. That that 
and let's be honest, we, we know the average lifespan for a man is like 77, right? Yeah. That, I mean, to, to think that he, he's playing Indiana Jones at 80. That's crazy. He's going to be doing a Yellowstone prequel series or a sequel. Um, it's just... Now, 80, know, is 80 now is 80... 80 now is different than 80 20 years it, ago. It is. It 80 is. now is 70. I mean, yeah. it's definitely 10 years. It's definitely 10 year difference. I mean, the when guy's in great shape, having said that, you know, 80s, he's still 80, but he's been around forever. His career is iconic. One of the biggest movie stars of all time. You know, you discount, take away, just take away his two iconic roles, Indiana Jones and Han Solo from Star Wars. Look, look at all the other films he's done that hit enormously big at the box office. It's very impressive. It is. And, and, you know, you start, you start, you know, it's funny is when, when you watch movies like old movies now, like you and I will watch, let's say Jaws now. Right. And, and, and you, you start looking at it and you're like, wow, you know, Roy Scheider was uh, 44 years old when he was in that movie. And now I'm 51, <laughs> you know, he start. it's mind boggling to me that I'm, I am older than Charlton Heston was when he did, you know, earthquake and, sh- and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it, it really, it, like yeah, you said, true. it's surreal to watch it those is. movies now and think, well, these guys look about 40 years older than I do right now. And they're well, younger they do. Than I, I agree. With, I agree with that. I mean, like, you know, Roy shot 44 when he did yours. Yeah. Yeah. OK, I get it. Um, interesting, too. Uh, one other movie news I wanted to bring up, Chuck, was uh, Martin Lawrence did an interview with Ebony, and he seems to believe that Will Smith isn't toxic. And that they will make a bad boys for how soon you think we'll see this movie? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a while, if anything, right? I don't think. Yeah, it's going to be very much a while simply because that's an expensive project. I listen. I think any anybody going to write a check for a hundred fifty million dollar bad boys movie is going to want to see Will Smith first dabble in something smaller and see how well he's accepted. I still think from a. from a public relation point of view, it seems perplexing to me that he hasn't uh, had a better strategy. I mean, maybe the strategy is just say, hey, Will, low. you got to lay low for one year. Yeah. You got to lay low for one year. Go away. Cycles don't last forever. Having said that, you know, even on, I got to be honest, even on 4th of July, when I, I, I put on Independence Day for a little while, it feels weird to watch a Will yeah. Smith movie. I, it, it feels weird. I had men, I had men in black too on uh, that yeah. around the same time I was watching. I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like watching. It's no comparison. Don't get me wrong, but I it's mean, like, listen, it's Will like Smith seeing Kevin himself. Spacey in a movie, like watching one yeah. of his movies. Now you just get an icky feeling. Now it's different. I it think he can recover a lot quicker said, than that. Having said that, when you take a step back and you think about what Will Smith, I mean, he did commit a really nasty act of, of, of abuse. I mean, yeah. it, it was a criminal act. He yeah. didn't get charged, but I mean, he went up uh, in somebody else's space in the biggest of forum in front of millions of people, and he and he bitch slapped uh, well Chris Rock. I mean, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, hard to believe. And he embarrassed the academy, embarrassed colleagues, and he embarrassed himself. And I, and I yeah. know he knows that. He, he knows yeah. that. Obviously, he wishes that day never happened. That moment never happened. And uh, I'm sure behind closed doors with his wife, Jada, and family, he's had to go through something pretty rough. And I give him that. I, I give him that. You know, you know, is he listen, we've all done stupid, stupid stuff, not in front of, you know, 50 million people or 100 no. million people worldwide. But yeah. uh, why he did it, 
you know, that's only in his head. He crossed, he crossed the line that most people would not cross. No doubt so. about it. Um, Chuck, let's go in the way back machine um, and talk about uh, the summer releases of a year in the past, uh, the week of uh, July 15th. What year do you want to go back to before we go back to 1977 and rank our favorite movies from 45 years ago? Let's go to 1988. 1988. Oh, wow. Interesting year here, Chuck, because there's not July 15th that weekend. And and I'll throw in the Wednesday release that came up as well. There's not one. There's two, but three classic movies came out this week. We could start. We could start at the top with uh, the one that the action movie that changed the world. And that's Die Hard came out July 15th, 1988. Do you remember a summer, a summer release, mind you, of a Christmas movie. Do you remember what theater you saw it at? I do. I saw it at the Stroud Mall with my dad sitting next to me, and I was mesmerized by what I saw for the two and a half hours we were sitting there. How many How many times did you see it in the theater? I probably saw it three times. I'm not as a big of repeat viewing in theaters as you are, but probably about three I, I, times. I got to tell you, that was a point in my life where I was seeing movies a lot in the theater. Um I had, you know, sort of an addictive personality and was something excited me and I found it uh, adrenaline fueling. I, I would watch it multiple times and I actually saw, saw that movie, believe it or not, 10 times in a movie theater. And almost the, the first six or seven was always with a big audience. And, I, right. and it, it was such a charge to watch that movie, the response collectively from an audience that just absolutely ate that movie up and loved it. And we've talked about this so many times. It is the greatest pure action movie of all time in scripting and acting character uh and payoff it's just in and, and the, casting of, the casting of bruce willis was, was i mean iconic i mean he was born to play john mcclain and john mctiernan a tremendous director he just hit every note and uh it made that movie like i said before on this program when i watched it the first time in a the theater at the king's plaza in brooklyn friday afternoon at four o'clock opening day and i watched it because I was not that familiar with Bruce Willis's work. I knew he was on Moonlighting, but I loved the Towering Inferno and the novel, which was uh, Nothing Lasts Forever, was concocted by the author when he sat in a movie theater back in 74 watching the Towering Inferno. So it has similarities. But I remember halfway through the movie sitting there by myself saying, I think I'm watching an instant classic. And I rarely, Mike, and I mean, I rarely ever say that when I watch a movie for the first viewing. I, yeah, I agree. I felt I felt the same exact way. In fact, I told my dad afterwards, I said, Dad, that was Lethal Weapon meets Towering Inferno in one movie and two of the great movies of all time combined in one. And I let me ask you this. The July 14th. Do you think 20th Century Fox knew what they had? I don't know. You know, it's, I don't know, because I, I think they knew they had a good movie because they, they did a good marketing campaign. The posters were awesome. Trailer um, was great. Good trailer. They knew, they knew and, I, and I think they knew they would get wor- good word of mouth. And I got to tell you, the one, scene in, in, the one scene in that movie for me that was so cathodically exciting was when he wraps a fire hose around him. Yeah. And he jumps, and he, and he jumps yep. like an everyman. And you feel his fear off that building, the Nakatomi yep. building. That's one of the greatest scenes ever shot for an action movie, hands down. And it was, and it, and it changed that summer too. You know, that summer you had big Bull Durham, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Coming to America, a lot of, lot of light and fluffy 
you know, good, great classic movies, but on the lighter side and then boom, this movie comes out and you got a hard R rated action movie that everybody ran to see. Uh, but that wasn't the only movie that made a ton of money that came out that weekend. Chuck, another instant classic to me, two instant classics came out that weekend as well. A fish called Wanda, which I think is one of the funnier movies of all time. One of the greatest performances by Kevin Klein ever. Um, with and the, a hit and a big hit and big a hit. big hit with Jamie Lee yeah. Curtis, put her back on the map too, with the Monty Python class, uh, the cast. And, and I just remember Kevin Klein, his auto in that movie. I, and, and I was one of those few times like Sean Connery in the untouchables where I said, this guy is going to get an Academy award for this role. I mean, he steals the movie um, playing against all these British types and they just can coming to kill me. I mean, there's some classic <laughs> moments in that movie. And Chuck, that is maybe not even the best movie that came out that weekend either. Maybe it isn't Die Hard. Maybe it isn't Fish Call Wanda. Maybe it's Midnight Run. That came out that week too, Chuck, which well, is another really, instant classic. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's it's it, that, that, that pairing of Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin was a name and he, and he, and he was well-respected in the industry, but it's sort of it sort of like re, it revived his whole career. Yeah, it reminded movie. everybody what he could do. It did. It really yeah. did. And, and he just had he had the right chemistry playing off De Niro in a in a hard R movie. Yes. That really worked. Very entertaining. Very and, entertaining. And Martin Brest, which should have been, which should have been sequel, which should have been sequelized. Yeah, they should have did it. They did a. Uh, I don't even remember. They did the TV series with Christopher McDonald. In, in the Jack role and in, in the Robert De Niro role. But uh, I think it maybe had four or five episodes, but that, that was a movie. You're right. They should have done it again. Those two together and even bring back Dennis Farina, who steals the movie as well as the mafia of boss in that movie. Chuck, that's a very, you talk about repeatedly watch watchable movies. Midnight run is another one of those. So, I mean, die hard fish call Wanda midnight run. I mean, that that's hard to top. You, I mean, we might go through the annals of movie history and, Find a better weekend than that. I, I dare you. I don't think you can. But here's here's what's also interesting about it is that you look at that weekend and you look out movies now. It's it, I know I want I don't want to use the word. There's no comparison, but it just was better. Well, we'd it get these three. The, we would get these three movies. The yeah, we would get these three movies over the course of five months. Now yes. that was one. That was one weekend when they would all come out. Yeah, and They all made. Well over a hundred million dollars, all three of them. Um, and it that, could be because it gave people a chance to see something different with each one of those movies. Right now, now it's sort of like you get the you get the same sandwich every time you go to the deli. You know. All right, Chuck. Let's uh, do a fast five, and let's do uh, as fast as we can go here because we've got a lot of great movies to get to in 1977. I want to break down our ten favorite. Um, and by the way, honorable mention to uh, Jeffrey Kramer. It's his birthday this weekend. He's 77 years old. Um, you might not know who he is, but if you've seen Jaws or Jaws 2, he's Hendrix, um, the deputy of uh, Brody. Wow. He's 77. So uh, he's still out there. Uh, and I, I wanted Good. to give him kudos. Uh, uh, well, a great uh, character actor in those two movies. Very important. He's back in the second one, too. I always like him uh, in, the, in the second one. All right, Chuck, let's do Fast Five real fast. We'll start with one of the greatest character actors of all time. Robert Forster, who would have been 81 this weekend. You know, I always think of Alligator when, when I when I think of him. He's a nope. pretty nasty villain in Delta Force. So he's yep. had a really he, he was really good. And he obviously got that Oscar nomination for Max Cherry yeah. and Jackie yeah. Brown. Jackie Brown. It's perfect casting by Quentin Tarantino. He, he knew exactly what he was doing when he casted him. And 
Um, but I, I'm with you. I think yes. of him. I think of those 70s movies and alligators. The one that pops to mind, no doubt about it. Um, this one's going to be tough for you, but you got to bear through it. Um, Will Ferrell is uh, 55 years old. Uh, I'll I go say, with Elf. I knew you were going to say Elf. I say this, people, because he's not a Will Ferrell fan. Um, although I would probably say Anchorman or Step Brothers. Elf might be the one to go with. That way, the whole family can watch it. Here's an interesting one, Chuck. Corey Feldman, who is, uh, believe it or not, he's 51 years old this weekend. Um, he's obviously survived much longer than Corey Hain did. Corey Feldman, what do you think of a Corey Feldman? Uh, I, I, if you want his best, I'm going to say Stand By Me. Good pick. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I, I would maybe go with Mouth in the Goonies. Very good. He's very good as Tommy in, in, the, one, in the one Friday the 13th movie as well. Um, people forget he shaves his head to look like Jason. Um, Harry Dean Stanton, Chuck, he passed away back in September of 17. Mm-hmm. He would have been uh, 96 years old. I'll Always go with Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink's a good pick. Um, I'd probably go with, he, he's an alien. He's very good in that. And I also liked him a lot in uh, Red Dawn. Remember, he was one of the parents. Yeah. He, he's oh, really good. He's good in that. Yep. yep. Great. Last but certainly not least, and a guy who's done so many great roles, Forrest Whitaker, Chuck, who is uh, 51 years old. I'm sorry, 61 years old. Tough one, right? Well, he's got, you know, he's done so many, he's done so much, you know, as a character actor. He's been, how many, I want, what is, how many acting credits does he have? He has uh, 136 acting credits. Can you go, can can you go all the way back to Fast Times at Richmond High? That's one of, that's a one really good one. I remember (laughs) him in, uh, in, in, uh, not that it's a great movie, but Blown Away with Jeff Bridges. He's in that. He yeah. did a he did a, a really good guess in WR what you got in Yeah, he did the, the really good actor. He played Edie Amin too, right? And he was in yeah. uh, Rogue One. He's actually good in that as well. He's got Very a small good. small role in that. Um, but I, I think of him. And also, th- also uh, the the uh, um, the David Fincher movie with Jodie Foster. Oh yeah, Panic Room. He's good in that. Panic yeah. Room. Yes. He's real. He's real good in that. To me, I just think of him jumping over the offensive line in Fort Wayne's four time, fast times at Richmond High. I mean, that is so funny. Um, way back in the day, uh, yeah. Chuck, uh, that was, that was movies forty years old. Can you believe it? Oh my gosh! I cannot. Uh, all right, Chuck. Forty five years ago, nineteen seventy seven. Very fun year. Uh, Ten movies. You and I will rank our ten favorite. Normally, what we do is go through ten through. Uh, is six and and real quick, but I this list is so interesting, Chuck. I think we should go through one at a time, and then because a lot of these are going to be repeated um, by both of us. I'm going to ask you this: How many disaster movies are in your top ten? It's one. Really? Okay, I've got three. Um, yeah. I also have uh, one, two, three, three comedies too. So it's an interesting list, and maybe two of the most iconic sci-fi movies of all time, Chuck. Look, Annie Hall's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. It's Woody Allen's Mona Lisa, but I had a hard time putting it at number 10. So I bumped it out at number 10 to squeeze in another disaster movie. And yeah, I'm going to say it. Airport 77's on my list, Chuck. I don't know if it made yours, but for some reason, this holds a special place in my heart. Um, Not a lot of the 10. I saw six of the 10 in the theaters, believe it or not. This was one of them. And this is a fun movie. I'm sorry. 
Uh, listen, it was Jack Lemmon's first uh, starring role as an action star, right? I mean, you know, same as Gene Hackman did the Reverend Scott in the Beside Adventure. That was the only one and only time Hackman headlined as an action star. And I think Jack Lemmon was awesome in Airport 77. His, his pairing with Brenda Vaccaro, I, I thought it was nice chemistry. I love Davin McGavin in the supporting role, a major supporting role yes. in this movie. I thought he played off uh, Jack Lemmon really well. The acting feels natural. I think it's exciting. Uh, it's well done. And George Kennedy comes back as Petroni. I think to save the, the, the emergence of getting the plane up above the ocean, I thought it was really well done. And they yeah. used the, the, the background of the Navy uh, yep. tactical force, how to do it. And I thought that was really interesting. It's, it, it may, I put it in number six. because You did? Okay, good. Yeah, good. I, I, lo- I love the genre. You know I love the genre. And I, and I like this. Actually, a, a year ago, toward Christmas time, I did, uh, me, my wife, and daughter, and a friend, uh, we screened it uh, on the big screen at the, at the Pocono Cinema privately, and I, and I had a great time watching it. Yeah, it holds up, and it's got, a, like you said, a lot of these times they throw in the kitchen sink with all these backstories and the melodrama. Yeah, and a right. lot of the stories in this actually kind of work, and I did like yeah. the J- Jimmy Stewart angle, the Susan Clark angle, Joe, Joe Petroni's wife and kid, and, and, and just a lot of good stuff in it. Now, look, 75 still my favorite, but Airport 77 is a real good movie. Um, the formula works. That's why these, they get these movies right, Chuck. What was your number 10? Yeah. I went with uh, I went with Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. Because Interesting. I, OK, I know I didn't see this theatrically, but I wound up seeing on that again, that cable, uh, the antenna cable service, WHT. And I, we, I watched that numerous times with friends. And I got to tell you, that movie was scary. And uh, oh, yeah, the, yes, it is, you know, uh, about a family who goes on vacation in, in a desert area of California, car breaks down and these like cannibalistic, you know, nightmare people are living there. And this actor named Michael Berryman, who is the guy on the poster in the video box. Uh, We've seen him at a science fiction show. Yes, we have. Yeah. I mean, very scary stuff. And it's, and it's well done. And, and, and the word is it's very compelling. Yeah. It was, it was, it's real. It feel it and felt here's the thing, like like they shot this movie between three hundred fifty and seven hundred thousand dollars and it made twenty five million at the box office. That's crazy. It's it's a lot like Texas Chainsaw. It's looks real, feels real. You know, the, the act you don't know the actors, so it feels like it's a documentary almost. It's one of those movies that so many people, you know, discovered at a video store. Yep. Yep. And it's a very good horror movie. Didn't make my list, but it's a good pick. My number nine is a great comedy. Um, it's not as good as Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein, but I hold high anxiety as one of Mel Brooks's best films. The homage to Alfred Hitchcock. So many funny things in this, including Harvey Corman and uh, Cloris Leachman. What they do in this film uh, is hysterical. And, and uh, you know, it's iconic to me, Chuck. The one scene is when he's walking through the park and the homage to birds and the birds are just pooping all over him while he's running through the park. There's just so many funny stuff. It's a quick hour and a half. It's got a lot of high notes. I remember watching this as a kid, not a movie I saw in the theaters, but one I did catch on uh, HBO and, and of the likes. And I remember we taped it off HBO and we watched High Anxiety all the time. And this movie is hysterical and you can keep watching it. And it, it reminded you of what Mel Brooks could do to an audience for 90 minutes, you know, way before he would kind of go off the rails a little bit later in his career but when he was hitting his high notes high anxiety was one of them yeah it was a high note and uh he's very with the Mel Brooks name those in those days 
was a big draw, and this was no uh, no exception. Good pick. And not on my top ten, though. My number nine, I went with a childhood memory. I remember, see, I, I remember seeing this movie by myself when I was a little kid. Little kid. I mean, it's amazing how my daughter doesn't go to the movies by herself, and she's 16, and I'm like 11 years old, and I'm watching this stuff by myself. Freaky Friday. Oh, yeah, good with, one. With, 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 with Jodie Foster, and I think it Barbara Harris. Yep. And Joan Aston was in this. I found this movie really entertaining and completely involved in it, and it was funny. Uh, it had it, it good chemistry and um, good, really good last act, and it all comes together. And uh, I, I like this movie a lot, so I put it on my top 10 of 77. That's a good pick. Uh, not on mine, but a, a nice family film, which Chuck doesn't normally put family films on his top tens. My number eight is not a family film, but it is one of the funnier sports movies of all time, Chuck. And that's Paul Newman's slap shot. Uh, you talk about iconic scenes, uh, the Hanson brothers, uh, the, you know, Michael Onkeen taking all his clothes off reminds one a lot of what Antonio Brown did this past year on the football field. A lot of comparisons there, but let's face it. It's raunchy. It's got good sports. It's got good hockey in it, and it's iconic because it's very repeatable, and it really has maybe some of the funnier um, three characters in the Hanson Brothers that are iconic in the 70s. And a weird movie and a weird pick for Paul Newman to do, but boy, he nails it. It's my number three. It's a a great movie. Uh, I think Paul Newman said this is his most uh, fun of any movie he ever had when he made it. And it is an edgy movie. It's sort of like for his star power, um, fairly ballsy that he did it, yeah. and it's it's a tremendously entertaining movie, very popular in its in it, in its time. Uh, good cast, but uh, you know, seeing Newman in a really edgy raw movie like this that's extremely funny. Uh, I think it's a classic film. It is a uh, George Roy who deliver, uh, d- directed it. It's it's some really good stuff and a good good. Uh, uh, Melinda Dillon's really good in it too, and. I just love when he coaxes the uh, the uh, hockey, the goalie out of the net when he's telling him his wife's a lesbian. I mean, that, that it just that movie's so funny. It's ridiculous. What's your number eight? My number eight, I went with uh, this the James Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me with Roger Moore. You know, of, of all the Bond movies that Roger Moore did. The best. I, I think I, I think this was the best. Yep. It's and, my number uh, six. I have it at six. Yeah. I, I think this was the best. And I, and I, you know, I grew up on Roger Moore. First Bond film I've ever seen in the theater was Live and Let Die. So I was always partial to Moore. But I think in terms of good story with entertainment quality, uh, and he was at the peak of, of his 007 persona, I, I would put this movie uh, as the best Moore Bond. So it's my number seven. It, it, uh, I, my, my number six, it, 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 despite having Barbara Bach as a Russian spy, it was able to really be a good movie, um, has a good villain, great gadgets and a really good ending with him teaming up with Americans trying to fight uh, the bad guys. There's some good stuff in this movie. Uh, I do. And a great opening ski scene, too. That's iconic. I, I don't think Roger Moore even knows how to ski, but um, boy, he did it a lot in his movies. That, that's for sure. Um, Chuck. My number seven was a star turn, a star making turn, maybe again for Burt Reynolds, uh, an iconic movie. And Smokey and the Bandit came in at number seven. I saw this in the theaters. I remember distinctly to this day, growing up on the Honeymooners, going with the movies to see this movie with my dad and saying to my dad, Dad, why? Why did they show Jackie Gleason's name last? I mean, it's and Jackie Gleason. Is he hardly in it? 
And my dad explains when I learned that the end credit, what it meant in movies. That's I, right. I remember learning it, watching Smokey and the Bandit, but then understanding how gosh darn funny this movie is. You know, is there a plot? No. But is it all stars? Yes. Um, is it a slapstick comedy? Like if you watch it today, would you really knee slap? No. But boy, it takes you back to a time and a place. And I remember it like it was yesterday, sitting in the theaters and loving it. And this was a huge movie that year, too, Chuck. You know, in, in the year of the science fiction, big blockbuster movies, this was number two. We'll get to the big biggest of them all. But this was number two. It shows you how big a star Burt Reynolds was at the time, considering the two movies that it was in between. Yeah, I mean, it didn't make my top 10, but it's a very entertaining movie. Uh, and, you know, when you say and Jackie Gleason, uh, it's sort of similar to and Carl Malden as Wilbur. Yeah, right? a little different, a little different. And, or and Michael Caine is Hoagie. <laughs> Well, you're really, yeah, you're, you're really reaching now. Um, I know. I, How I many people know that reference? I don't. I, I, well, Beyond the Beside Adventures is the Wilbur and uh, Jaws of Revenge. Revenge. Yeah. Well, a hobby. Yeah. Uh, a lot different than and Jackie Gleason in Smoking the Bandit because he basically yeah, almost steals that movie from Burt Reynolds. So that's my number seven. What's next on your list? My number seven was. Uh, oh, God. And I, I got to tell you, uh, I remember seeing this again, another movie I saw by myself in the theater. And I just enjoyed the heck out of this film. I, I thought it was so charming and entertaining. Uh, George Burns, it, probably his signature part in terms of, you know, just the magnitude of how well-received his likability was in this movie. But the casting of John Den Denver really worked. Yeah, I mean, did. it really worked. Oh, both of them. Oh, let's face it, both of them. If you think about it, Chuck, I mean, it wasn't like George Burns was a movie star. I mean, cast, no, no, the casting no, no. in this movie was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. And it's a very entertaining movie. I haven't seen it in a long, long time, so I don't know how it holds up, but I'm assuming it holds up well. Um, and I, I, I really dug it. So that's my number seven. Um, it didn't make my list, but uh, a very iconic movie. No doubt about it. My number five, Chuck, A Spy Love Me was six. So my number five, one of the more iconic science fiction movies of all time. Um, Steven Spielberg got an Oscar nomination. Richard Dreyfus meets the aliens, Chuck. And, you know, I remember seeing Close Encounters of the Third Kind of what I was maybe seven when it came out and thinking to myself, oh, man, we don't get to see the spaceship. That's how it ends. They don't do anything. And then you realize the scope and the magnitude. And when you get older and each time you watch it and, and, and the memories it brings you back to and and how well it's directed and how great a storyteller Spielberg can be and how fine a performance Richard Dreyfus gives as the everyman just losing his mind, trying to figure out what he actually saw. It's yeah. just an incredible, incredible movie. Great score by John Williams. And one of the finest, well-directed scenes is when he's getting questioned um, oh. by Francois Truffaut. And, 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 and he's well, like, who are you people? Case? I mean, who are you people? I mean, yeah. uh, that, and it's then just, he goes, who are you people? And who are you cut, people? It cuts to the big John Williams score yeah. and, 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 and the car driving down. Yeah, it's listen. Uh, I don't know why I can't explain. It's my number two, by the way. I, I don't know why in, in my mind's eye, what, but I didn't see this theatrically when it you came out. No. I, I can't explain why, but over time, like I remember when I first watched it and it was like, you know, it, it sort of like, like threw me a little, you yeah. know, cause it's very sophisticated storytelling. It is very sophisticated for a big then, budget action science fiction made over $175 million. It's long and very intelligent. 
very intelligent. So I did a revival of it about six years ago, and it sort of it really hooked me. Like I was mesmerized by it, and I watch it a lot on my sixty-five inch four K. I do, and because there's so many things I like about it, it's still very thought-provoking. And you realize how good of an actor Richard Dreyfuss is when yeah. you watch Jaws, yeah. and then you watch Jaws as Hooper, and then you watch this movie as Roy Neary, and you you realize. He's not even in the same ballpark of playing the same no. character like that. No, so different. No, absolutely, one hundred percent. And you know, this movie was so popular, and I think you know some people say Spielberg may have dropped the ball in the ending there. So what did they do? They they came out. Remember the special edition movie they would release? What is it? Well, there's the original. There's a director's cut which shows the aliens at the end, and there's a special edition. I like the special edition best. I yeah. think that that is the definitive version. I, I like, and I don't say it a lot about movies because I usually like okay. Movies like a painting, right? Yes. You don't you don't repaint the Mona Lisa. It is what it is, right? But I do like the special edition the best. Um, but it's that it's is a great score. Yeah, and it's, it's a very thought provoking, big epic movie. And I, I love the scene when he's trying to get up the mountain uh, at, at the end in the spring. That that yeah. that, that uh, chemical, and uh, she says to him. Move your ass, and, and 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 that John Williams score is blaring, and he holds out his hand, and that's just great stuff, man. Nobody could do it better than Spielberg. And Williams, Nobody. and Williams nominated twice and winning uh, score for the other movie. We'll talk about a little bit later on on your list. What's next on your list after Close Encounters or after uh, with the last oh, one God. you picked? Well, oh. I, my number, my number, my number six, uh, my number six is Airport uh, seventy-seven. 77. My number five, uh, Black Sunday. That's my number three. Yeah, let's uh, talk about it. I consider this a disaster movie, so that's why. Um, uh, this movie I did not see in theaters. Um, directed by John Frankenheimer, one of our favorite actors, Robert Shaw in the lead. Um, Bruce Dern, great villain. He's got the the, the iconic uh, Goodyear blimp going to crash uh, and spray a million darts onto the crowd at the Super Bowl, Chuck. And what always astonished me about this movie, filmed at the Orange Bowl at Joe Rob- Robbie Stadium, uh, and, and and the scenes of the Steelers and the Cowboys, while the action's taking place from John Frankenheimer direct, I'm like, how did he pull this yeah, off? That's good it, stuff. That's it's, good stuff. Honey. Really? That's I mean, you got, t- you got Terry Bradshaw and all these uh, iconic football players in the middle of the action movie, something Two Minute Warning couldn't do, but boy, did they do it in uh, Black Sunday. Got a great score. Oh, guess who did it? John Williams and just a weird lead actor who is perfect for this role. Chuck, he's not American, but he's our action star here. And you believe it when he's on top of that blimp trying to save the day. I, I love this film. It's got a great build up to a wonderful uh, ending. I just remember all the TV spots uh, and the ads with the blimp and, and they would show that. And it almost like, oh, boy, how do they do this? You got to go see it. And I it was not disappointing at all. And I, I love this film. And it. It really plays well over and over again. It's on Amazon Prime if you guys want to watch it. But it's my number three and your number five. You could talk about it a little bit, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting how back in this time period where how it, how well thought out to get shots like that, how hard that was to do. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, sitting in a theater, people who watched that back in the day realized they knew that was very impressive. Yeah, it's it's just a so well done. Um, and uh, and Robert Shaw was in the deep that year too, Chuck. He had a interesting career, and that was a, probably the peak of his career at that point in time. 
Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting because the, the Deep, which is not on my list, the Deep was a big hit uh, in, in 75. And I still don't think it's a very good movie. No, it's uh, not. It's not. It's, it made a lot of money because it was it was a Peter Benchley novel. Who, he wrote Jaws. So people were like, oh, my Peter Benchley, you know, we well, got to go. And it, you, you're not you didn't get Jaws. Let's let's face it, Chuck. There, there was two other reasons that movie was a hit, too. And that's Jacqueline Bissett. Um, anyway, we'll move yeah. on to my number four. Uh, uh, another iconic film. Uh, Sis, Gene Siskel's favorite movie of all time. And by God, it's really good. John Travolta's star making turn in start a Saturday Night Fever. Chuck, great soundtrack, great oh, setting. Yeah, great setting, a great star. Um, and it's just a whole heck of a lot of fun. I prefer the R rated version, not the PG rated version, um, mm-hmm. but not, not a movie I saw in the theaters either, I will say. But boy, yeah. Saturday Night, you know, Tony Monero. It's just a great film. But here's the thing. OK, this movie was so successful. And R rated so successful that they knew a lot of young people under the age of 17 wanted to see it. So they recut it to PG-13. And it no kept, 13, just PG. There was no 13. And it kept churning in the money. Yep. It, kept, it kept churning in the money. And the reality of it is this. That is a very hard R movie. Yes, Make it no is. Mistake. It was definitely not for young people. No, there's some difficult subject matter in that film, too, um, including a rape scene, um, among other things. Uh, but, you know, surrounding it all is a BG score that, you know, it can hide all the really R-rated stuff. And all you remember are the dance scenes and the music. Wait, listen, it's one of the most iconic soundtracks of all time by the Bee Gees. It was number one on the Billboard charts for weeks and months and months on end. And uh, it, it really captured the, the, the term, you know, pop culture experience. And it's really one of the, the, the most iconic of all pop culture experiences in, in theaters back in the day in 77, no doubt about it. Considering the other iconic pop culture, uh, pop culture experiences we would have in that year, um, it does not get lost at all. Just a totally different experience than you would have with some of the science fiction films we're talking about. Uh, what was your number three coming up? My number, my number three is Snapshot. My number two is Close Encounters. The only thing I have left is my number one, which I think is pretty obvious. All right. I've got one more left. I've got Black Sunday at number three, and I'd be yeah. remiss. It's it's probably too high on this list, but it's one of the, the, the most memorable experiences that A, I had in the theaters and B, I have every a summer I watch it. Um, another disaster movie. It's overrated in my mind, but Roller Coaster is my number two. Chuck, I, knew, I knew you would put that there. Because it's just Harry Calder. Uh, why do you like why do you like this film? If you had to break it down in one sentence, why? Probably George Siegel more than anything else. The, the casting of George Siegel's Harry Calder in that role as a yeah. reluctant guy trying to solve a mystery that nobody else wants to solve. And then uh-huh. you throw in Richard Widmark and then you throw in Summer, you throw in roller coasters, you throw in a mad bomber. Uh, it's hokey. It's silly. I watch it every year and I still say, how does this guy get out of this park with a, uh, all this ransom money? And I mean, there's just so many holes. But at the end, when he's riding a roller coaster, um, and, and he's trying to stop uh, Timothy Bottoms. I get wrapped up into it over and over and over again. Lalo Schifrin does a great uh, score in this film too, Chuck. I don't know. It, it came out just about the same time as the number one. It kind of got lost in the shuffle. But I know a lot of people consider this a really good taut thriller. And that's what it is. It probably shouldn't be called a, a disaster film, which it got lost with the sense around and all that crap. Yeah, yeah. 
and everybody just can lumped it into all. It's not. It's just a good Hitchcockian fun uh, little uh, thriller with really a great and I mean, great. I, you talk about one of my five favorite characters of all time on screen. I don't know why, but it's Harry Calder and George Siegel. You know, for some reason, it's silly. What were the, what were the, what were the movies released as sets around? They, Earthquake was the first. Earthquake, right? Earthquake. It was Battlestar Galactica. Midway. Midway and this film. And that was it. That was the yeah. four. Um, yeah. And this worked. I mean, it, it, it was great roller coaster scenes with the theater rumbling. I saw this in the theaters mm-hmm. on Long Island. I remember seeing it near my grandparents' house. And I just, uh, it Chuck, for some reason, this movie hooks me. Uh, it's weird how a certain movie at a certain time that not everybody in the world has seen can be so near and dear to someone's heart. But this, you know, it's different. You know, Poseidon Adventure, everybody knows, everybody loves, everybody thinks it's great. Roller coaster. Oh, yeah, I get it. it. Well, you know, you also you've also got to realize that the, the, that air, you know, the original airport in '70 uh, sort of kicked off the, the the craze. I don't really consider that a disaster film as much as a a, a soap opera drama. Right. But the Poseidon Adventure, Italian Inferno, Earthquake, and then you know you had uh, Airport '75. But then you started getting some hiccups like the Swarm yeah. and a few others. So uh, th- th- that genre started getting dicey pretty quickly. Right. Well, and, and another movie, much like Black Sunday, Two Minute Warning, it's also considered a disaster movie. It's not a disaster movie. No. I mean, uh, I, I absolutely love that movie, too. It, it, but for some reason, you, you throw Chuck, Chuck Heston in a movie with all star cast and people die. Well, then it's a disaster movie and it kind of it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Chuck, what do we say about the number one movie of 1977 that hasn't already been said? George Lucas's classic Star Wars is my number one, I would assume. Yeah, it's- me too. I mean, the only thing I'll say about it, I remember distinctly on a hot summer day, me and my friend Neil took a walk uh, from uh, 14th Street and uh, Avenue to uh, Kings Highway, and we saw it at the Avalon on, on an afternoon, a very hot afternoon. Memorial and, Day weekend. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was something very different and, and, and very interesting. And um, it was just a good memory from its first viewing to its iconic legacy so many, many years later. Chuck, you know, the opening credits, the opening uh, fanfare, but 20th Century Fox fanfare, when that starts up, every time I hear that from that point on, 77 on, I identify it with Star Wars. You know, it's in Die Hard. It's in all these other great movies. But Mm -hmm. when I hear the 20th Century Fox, I think of Star Wars immediately. Yeah. And it's all because of when I was seven years old. Actually, I was six at the time because I wasn't seven yet in 77 when I saw it Memorial Day weekend. I remember my cousins were in the same theater as us. We didn't know they were there. Um, We saw them afterwards. It was incredible. Oh, my gosh. Um, You know, and you think about some of the movies, seven year olds and eight year olds got have to see now, like Pause of Fury. They run to the theaters of Minions. They run into the theaters to see when when you get the wonderment and the and the and just the classic ability of star wars they don't you say it all the time they don't make it like this anymore there no. there's there, the wonder is not there anymore in movie making and well the wonder is what- not the wonder is not there simply because we're force-fed every aspect of what in the city we're still discovering people discovered uh these movies in 77 they didn't know how these movies going to unfold they, they right. when Darth vader comes on the street they don't know how it's going to play out now you almost know everything I mean, you just almost know everything. It's hard not nothing's to. A secret. Nothing's a secret. And there's nothing um, 
there's no there i mean that sense of wonderment and discovery um i just don't think you can get it like like you could back in the day in the 70s or well, 80s. We, we sound like old men yelling at kids getting off our lawn but 45 years ago so. i don't think so <laughs> 45 years ago it was a hell of a year of movie <laughs> making chuck by 10 through one airport 77 number 10 high anxiety number nine uh uh, uh uh, number eight, Slapshot. Seven, Smoking the Bandit. Six, The Spy Who Loved Me. Five, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Four, Saturday Night Fever. Three, Black Sunday. Two, Roller Coaster. And one, Star Wars. My number 10, Hills Have Eyes. Number nine, Freaky Friday. Number eight, Spy Who Loved Me. Number seven, Oh God. Number six, Airport 77. Number five, Black Sunday. Four, Saturday Night Fever. Number three, Slapshot. Number two, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And number one, obviously, Star Wars. Good list. A lot of fun, Mike. Chuck, did Kingdom of the Spiders almost make your list? Well, I like that movie. That is a lot of fun. That, <laughs> it almost made aspect. mine. <laughs> that, 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 would be, that might have been 11 or 12, but uh, that was a good one. All right, Chuck. We'll do it all over again next week, my friend. Have a fun one, Mike. Uh, and to the audience, thank you very much for listening. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.